Welcome to Fringe Element here on the 440 Sports Network. My name is Braden Gall, and you can follow me on Twitter at Braden Gall. Mine's Aaron Dugan. You can follow me on Twitter at the Aaron Dugan or Instagram Aaron underscore Dugan. My name is Stephen Godfrey at 38 Godfrey on Instagram and Twitter. I came in hot there. I did not mean to. Whoa. No one even knows what you said. It's 38 Godfrey on both. Today on the show, Louis Bellina is going to join us, be our guest. He is the program director and host of The Zone, 1150 AM in College Station. He's been running that station for, I don't know, the better part of, I don't know, like 20 years or something. And of course, lived through the call-in show following the Alabama A&M uh, uh, moment on Saturday night. And so he's going to give us a sense of what actually took place in College Station and Brian uh, over the weekend and what people are doing down there ever since the big win over Alabama. We, of course, will talk about the future of the Alabama Crimson Tide, LSU and Kentucky. Steven, you were there, so we're going to have a talk with Lexington, but also we may have to have a talk with LSU and Coach O as well. Florida is now heading down to the Bayou. Kentucky is heading to Georgia. We'll talk about both of those games. Lane Kiffin is returning to Neyland Stadium as the head coach of the old Mississippi Rebels as just a four-point favorite. Auburn and Arkansas is sneaky good and is not going to get enough coverage on this show. So there's a lot to do, a lot to recap. But first, before we do, Aaron Dugan, Fringe Element is brought to you by... Fringe Element is brought to you by... Godfrey, we're doing something different. Pulling out two I'm random so cards against humanity cards. Okay. And it's going to be the Jaspers ad. All right. Okay. Fringe so Element. scared. Mostly for Jaspers. Brought to you by... Yeah, you should be. Last Jaspers. Year, la- last week it was Jaspers, where 50% of relationships end in divorce. Yeah, that was what it was. Um, <laughs> Jaspers. Okay, here are my two random cards. Jaspers, it's a slippery slope that leads to selling crack to children. <laughs> God. Go to Jaspers. Or all you can eat shrimp for $8.99. Oh, um, I don't think either are options, but I nope. think I think there are some shrimp in some of the menu items at Jaspers, and they're delicious. In fact, I ate some shrimp and goodies the other day. There's a Creole roll that's quite nice. Um, just anything to get away from the crack to kids would be good, actually. This poor, poor title sponsor. Jasper's putting things where they go. All right. There you go. That's all right. Okay. Let's end, let's end it right there. How about? I think that's better. Yep. That's better that than the crack That innuendo was good enough. And let's get out of this. Just app. vague enough. Just go to Jasper's because the parking is free and the food is great. How about that? Um, all right. We'll get to Louis Bellino a little bit later on in the show. Bama and a and I, I, I have actual questions. Would you like to start with the actual questions? Or would, do you guys want to start with... How much there joy the rest of college football took in watching Alabama not win a football game? Does it still have the same effect? You think? Honestly, I yes. My my so compared here, to what? This is what happened on Saturday. I had a five. Okay. I have a five year old. She turned five on Saturday. We had a lot of people over. Family was over, right? Um, to watch the game, and the children go to bed. They stayed up a little late. My three and five year old go to bed, and. The family all was like, no, we're not leaving until the end of this game. Okay. Which worked out just fine because I was going to watch it anyway, and it made it right. more enjoyable. But the only reason anybody stuck around was, hey, Braden, we need to put on the Bama game. They're down 24 to 10. Yeah, I assume that you don't have any Aggies in your family. No, no Aggies at all. This is okay. no Bama fans, no Aggies, not even really diehard like any particular team fan. Just wanted to watch Alabama lose. I would like to say something. And it's going to be telling on a fan base and they'll all deny it. But I was in the lobby of a hotel in Lexington, Kentucky, surrounded by LSU fans who had just walked back from that. Okay. Into the hotel lobby. I heard not just more than one LSU fan. I heard like eight or nine LSU fans talking about, are you ready for it? How much they hate Texas A&M. Pause for a second and soak that in because of all of the institutions and fan bases that should be celebrating Alabama losing, regardless of their own circumstances, you would think it would be the old Louisiana State University Bayou Bengals. Something has finally bubbled up on that I-10 rivalry in the far west of this expanding conference. I was a little shocked to hear that. They, they stole the athletic director. Well, he's they, an alumnus of LSU. I, I know, but like his... What is there? I mean, is it the overtime game again? I don't know. What is it that's bubbling up here? You know, but here's the thing, Braden. So I have like a ton of LSU in-laws. I have an entire wing of, you know, my wife's family. It's LSU or Tech or ULM. Of course, they just cheer for LSU. And they're all gravitating in this direction. 
Now I know they had a 10 year non-conference series in the 1980s and 90s. That's like, I've started Googling this. I'm genuinely curious. And that's why I asked at the top, does it have the same effect? Because we have seen Bama lose. We've seen Bama uh, completely embarrassed, right? By Clemson in the national title game. This is certainly great, in my opinion, for the 2021 season because it just adds uncertainty and we have more narrative going into multiple games just just because Alabama lost regular season game. That's great. I'm just curious if it has the same effect. And now it seems like, I don't know, it doesn't feel like the acrimony was there when Johnny Manziel did it or the Hugh Freeze Ole Miss teams did it. It was almost like the entire, it was like the Miracle on Ice moment where the entire nation sort of joins in celebration. Even, I, there, there were SEC fans who cheered for Ohio State when they knocked Bama out of the playoff. I don't know if we have that that same feeling anymore. That is an interesting point. I, I guess that I I did hear less celebrating of Alabama losing than I really sus- expected that I would, although I didn't really think about it until right now. I wonder if that has something to do. I really I don't know what it is. I, I mean, I, I know t- what it's like to I feel be it. an opposing team playing a sport at Texas A&M because I told you all my experience with baseball, but um, I don't know why a normal fan base I, I to- would I totally, have so much hate. I disagree completely. I think you, you were do? in a, I think Steven, you were in a, an LSU bubble and maybe there is something, literally, maybe there is something between LSU and A&M, which would be great. I think that would be an awesome thing for those two yes. programs to hate each other viscerally. I think that would be wonderful. Um, I, I, I sent out a tweet as soon as the game was over. And again, Twitter's not real life. I get it. But I sent out a, my, and I could not believe the misunderstanding of my message. When I tweeted out, Bama losing could be one of the worst things to ever happen to college football, sadly, because one of two things is true. Either Alabama's offensive line has actual issues and they're not going to be on the same field with Georgia and Georgia's going to destroy them and Bryce Young is going to run for his life and the problems against Florida and AM are real and they're not going to be able to overcome them and someone else is going to win, which is good which is not my message. My message was normally this happens. It's the best thing that ever happened to Nick Saban. And they go on a tour de force, you know, revenge death march to a national championship game, which is really what I was getting at. Every response to that was absolutely not. This is the most wonderful thing that's happened to college football this year. Every, every single, I would have, I didn't see your tweet, but I would have gotten it because we had a similar conversation when they didn't actually lose to Florida, but they almost did, which was, that's not going to be great for Alabama or for everybody else besides Alabama. I'm sure they would have liked to do it by almost losing to Florida and not actually losing to A&M, but I I get it. I get where you're coming from. But so I think, I I think the point is everybody loved it is my point. I I think the reason why people love it, it, it's. Maybe it's not twofold, but I think I think the reasoning has changed over time. So I just produced this video at my day job at Vox Media about the 2014 Sugar Bowl. That's why I mentioned it. And back then, when Ohio State is a four seed upset Alabama, there was a unified national feeling, one, of SEC fatigue, which still obviously persists to this day, but also of Alabama fatigue specifically. So a couple conversations I, was, I just have sort of intercepted going out and to the tailgates. It had been a while, obviously, with COVID and everything else. One. This is the first time that I can remember where we're now having a, if you throw 2020 out, I know Alabama won the national title, so they're going to get mad when I say that you had this 2019 March to the sea style domination by LSU, right? Now we're seeing something similar in Athens. It was strange to be around a bunch of SEC fans. And it's strange to see this on Twitter where Alabama losing Braden. I think people are going, Hey, that just means more chaos and maybe not two SEC teams in the playoff, but there's a, inarguably better team in the sec right now. And that's strange too. So I think everybody's happy because chaos is fun. I mean, how many times just in the last 20 years have one of us been covering an event or you're at a tailgate or something like that. And like a random top ranked team goes down when USC was dominant, when Ohio state was dominant and trestle, we tend to cheer for chaos if we don't have a personal stake in it. Right. Because that's what we want. So I feel like Alabama maybe just has skewed a little bit more towards, okay, let's just mess the pot up and make the game more fun. The game of, you know, being the entire season and less the unbeatable team has been beaten because this was a team that lost to A&M because of the things they did not fix from Florida. Right. I actually think it's part one of my two part thing. I think it actually is. There yeah. Are, there are questions about this team. I still think there's number two in the country. <laughs> like I still, I still would pick yes. them against Iowa or Cincinnati or the, the problem with this 
issue is that there's not a whole lot of other teams capable of challenging and taking advantage of those situations. Um, I know you love Cincinnati. I wouldn't. I, I love anybody that that breaks this up a little bit. That's all. No, no, no. I'm saying I'm. There's a difference between what I'm rooting for and what I think would happen. Those are two different. Yeah. Things. Those are very, two very different things. Um. So I do think the issues are real, and I think Georgia is uniquely qualified to take advantage of those issues. And right now, I would have Georgia beating Alabama. I don't think anyone else on their schedule is capable of taking advantage of those issues. No, I think I think you'll you'll see some some fun weirdness in the iron bowl just because that's the environment, but you're not going to see a, 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 a you know, the, the gravity of that game won't be as important as it has been in years past. Auburn just isn't a four quarter team against that kind of, that kind of opponent. That's not going to happen. Nick Saban also alluded in the post game press conference and no, no coach is going to come out and say this, but I think that there are problems on the field and we can see those some of them um, compared to what we're normally used to with Alabama. Saban also made a couple of comments about, you know, his first two things are, I'd never want anybody to forget how it feels to lose. That's one of the very first things he said at press conference, like, remember how it feels to lose. Uh, I want you to, he wants them to just bask in it. Very opposite then, of Ted Lasso. It's just like. It's the opposite wants, of Ted Lasso. We're all goldfish except for Alabama. They're not. Yeah. Goldfish. A&M is the one that touched the believe sign on the way out on Saturday. It wasn't Alabama. <laughs> right. Alabama. And then he said, the next question, which this sounds very in line with what I know great coaches to say, which is what did you do to contribute to the loss? He did take some of it on the coaching side. And I did have a couple of moments in that game. Where like, why that? Why are we, do- why are you doing that on offense? But he even made comments about, you know, every, everybody that gets to the stadium wants to win the game. It's not about wanting to win the game. When you get to the stadium, if it's about how bad do you want to win the game in the week leading up to the game. And to me, he made more direct references to players habits and what they need to be doing off the field and during practice. So although he didn't come out and say, my players aren't that focused, they're not resting when they need to be, they're not practicing as with the same gumption that they would play, you know, a game at AM. He did talk about that a little bit more than I was used to. Mm-hmm. So it sounded to me like he has some questions if how, you know, what his guys are doing off the field and are they doing everything they possibly can or just riding the wave that is Alabama. And he does not like that. And he definitely doesn't want to beat himself. So it, it is, I thought that was interesting. To, it's the rat poison thing. And that it is fun watching Kirby smart, try to distribute the rat poison content to his team actively this week. I, I am finding that interesting. Right. Um, I, just, just as a sheer, like, you know, you're the chef of your, of the rat poison for your particular team. How are you going to serve it up <laughs> to your team? I'm so far struck by, and this is just anecdotal observational stuff. There's no science to this. I am struck by how loose Kirby is. It does actually kind of remind me of how loose Orzron was right around the time they turned the corner through conference play. And you realize that, okay, that offense won't be caught. They might struggle on defense against particular opponents, but LSU is just that good on one side of the ball to get all the way through the conference schedule. Kirby feels a lot like that right now. What's funny to me, Braden, is like they don't have that offense. This is a defensive-minded confidence. That's pretty impressive. I I find it refreshing until, of course, they, they win twenty-three to zero in the national championship game, and a team doesn't cross the fifty-yard line, and we all think the right. sport need, the sport needs to change. <laughs> Well, the sport needed to change because of the team that lost or maybe the team that won that got back in. It wasn't necessarily because of the ugliness of the game. I will say, if Georgia wins a national title, I do fully expect it to look like that. It will be that kind of – they will minim, they, they will try and turn uh, an equally – a talented opponent. I don't know who it is. Oklahoma, Ohio State, they're, whatever. They're going to be – Into that kind of game. They're going to beat Iowa in the first round 31-0. to zero, Yes. And then they're going to beat yes. – but then they're going to beat Oklahoma in the national championship game, twenty-four to three. If that was Georgia's path, heard it here first. If that was Georgia's path, and we'll step outside of the conference. Well, technically, step outside of the conference for a second. And Iowa was able to run the table, which I don't think they are. We can get into a Big Ten review if you like. State, Ohio State's still better. Well, I'll be honest with you. If you look at the East, and this does affect the SEC because this is going to be hugely important for how Alabama crawls back if they do. The Big Ten East is actually much, much better than we in the South are probably giving it credit for, at least on October 12th, okay? So remember the name, Michigan State. It's going to complicate things in the East. I don't think Iowa gets out unscathed. The reason I bring all this up is if the center holds up there and Georgia doesn't have to see Alabama again, 
I don't see how they don't just waltz through that yeah, yeah. 14 playoff. Yep. Waltz. Yeah, no, I agree. And that's with a quarterback situation that I have no confidence yeah. in. They just, I mean, Auburn is not a great team, but what they did on the road with a backup quarterback to Auburn is yeah. it's demoralizing for everybody else. But again, this is the sport we cover. This is the sport we love. Sometimes you just get a new story and I'm glad the new story is not Alabama. I'm sorry. I'm just glad. <laughs> I mean, maybe because Oklahoma switched quarterbacks, sorry, fans. maybe because Oklahoma switched quarterbacks, there'll be this incredibly renewed, different looking team when they get to the playoff. Other than that, I think that, I mean, I guess we should frame it in terms of this. If we want to talk on the max, the maximized kind of side of this, the, 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 the 50,000 foot view, the team that Alabama will be when they enter into that sec championship game, is going to have to be fundamentally different than the one that we've seen in the last two weeks. Is that possible for them to make that significant a jump in that amount of time? They've never really been asked to do that. If it wasn't the offensive line, I would say they could. Exactly. This is the year of bad uh, offensive line play. But offensive, Aaron, you've talked about this. Like offensive lines, you can't, it's like one of the only things that you cannot fix in season. It just can't yes. be done. Interesting Offen- to know if, if they're missing, if they really are, you know, missing the, uh, you know, intellect and or ability it's hard to think that Alabama is missing ability but there are some serious holes like we're like we've been talking about I wonder um how much of those really do have to do with the habitual stuff and what the guys are the the mindset and what they're doing on and off the field like I was just talking about so because if those if those things if it's little things like that just habits day-to-day how they're playing in practice maybe they you know, come out of the gate hot in the next couple of weeks because they really are capable. They just haven't been living up to it. Um, or maybe they're not. So it's, it that's, could be, I mean, that's, that's the debate. Yeah. I have a question. That's the debate. I have a question. Circling back to the O-line thing for a second. Have we ever had a season in which we've been able to on a mainstream media level, not a hardcore advanced stats, not, not some corner of a message board where you're breaking down film. I'm talking about in the mainstream media, have we ever had a year in which we've examined O-line play as the Achilles heel for so many supposedly good programs or sub question, are we just getting more attentive to line play in the media? I I hope it's not number two, unless, unless to your point about like where the conversation is happening. Yeah. I mean, I've worked at Athlon sports for since 2007 and since 2007, the three things I circle and study the most for every team are quarterback, head coach, and offensive line. Yeah, in the preseason when we're putting our rankings. Yeah, but you're not a you're not right. Yeah, but but it doesn't mean that we don't then take that out of the magazine into conversations where we go, man, I think so and so's got one of the best offensive lines in the country. Like I I think we've had that. I'm just saying, so far you 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 had a bad decision making matrix going on with Spencer Rattler at Oklahoma, but Ohio State had an O line problem. Clemson has a massive O-line problem. North Carolina has a massive O-line problem. Alabama, of all places, now has an O-line problem. Then you go down the league, and you can pretty much see exactly where this league bends. Remember how the – so a a couple weeks ago, we're trying to figure out what is a Kentucky, what is a Missouri, what is a Tennessee in in terms of sort of how they fall. Or on the other side of it, what's an Arkansas and what's an Auburn? It's the offensive line. It really is. That's not to take away from some impressive quarterback play. I think the kid, at, I just blanked on his name. The kid at Arkansas blew me away. KJ Jefferson. Jefferson uh, Jefferson absolutely blew me away uh, against Ole Miss, and they should have won that game. That was just a bad play call at the end by Bryles. But by and large, offensive line now is defining success for these teams with incredibly intricate superstar-laden offenses. I, I, Steven, I think you're a journalist who likes to find a thread, pull on it, and try to make bigger meaning out of it. And, and I would yeah, say... That's how I pay the mortgage. I would say... <laughs> It's it's I I mean I think it's just coincidental that Clemson and Alabama happen to have this. I mean Florida State over the years really struggled to recruit offensive linemen and develop offensive linemen, famously under Bowden and, and Jimbo Fisher. Frankly, I, I just think Al, I just think Florida's defensive line and Texas A yeah. and M's defensive line, and this is where non-SEC fans hate to hear this, but a two-loss Texas A and M team still recruits in the top seven. And they still have a top 10 NFL draft pick playing defensive end. They still have NFL draft picks all over the place. And I, and while Iowa does a great job developing talent and, you know, Cincinnati does as well and Notre Dame and Brian Kelly do as well. There's lots of great, they don't recruit in the top five, the way Texas A&M does, which makes sure. Saturday night possible. Yes. Florida mm-hmm. has the dudes at home in a hostel. We talked about this after the Florida game, who could replicate that performance. And A&M was the only one we ever pointed to in Georgia. 
And I barely thought, I mean, like it, it was, I'm going to be honest. I, I was, I was reaching, I was trying to be nice. I didn't really think they could do it. I'm going to be totally honest with you. No, we all, we all owe Texas A&M an apology. There's no question about that. Except, well, we were ripping on the quarterback development specifically. And I, if, if we want to do a legit mea culpa, the man developed a bad backup quarterback from whatever day they lost or, or almost lost to Colorado to beating Alabama. However, X many yeah. days that was, that's why the dude gets paid like uh, like a Saudi prince. That was an incredible difference. That looked like a totally different person. Someone who's completely calm in the middle of chaos. He's throwing into coverage like quickly, like releasing the ball very quickly, not really having to, doesn't even seem like he has to think. We know that he did because his accuracy was there. He only had, I think he had one interception, but even when he rolled his ankle or whatever, he still composed himself and completed a pass. I mean, it looked like a completely different player, truly. Apparently you can recover from a hyperextension within 90 seconds. <laughs> um, wait, before we move a, they've on. They've got a pill for that. Um, I don't want to know. I don't want to know what happened in the tent. The video of Seth Small's family watching him um, or watching him yeah. kick that winning field goal. Have you seen it, Brady? Yeah, yeah it was good. I'm sure everybody's seen it. It was good stuff. It was pretty, Um, it was pretty cool. And, and, and Louie's going to talk about this later on in the show, but sometimes you just have a night like this and it's why we're fans of the sport. That's it. Sure. It's it's, sometimes it's not more like we're trying to find so much meaning and what does it mean for the future and this and that sometimes you play a game and crazy shit happens and it's fun. And that's why we watch now. Are you saying the Bama dynasty is not over? (laughs) No. Now you did say that Pete Golding deserves credit for his, coaching job against Ole Miss. Uh, yeah. Um, Cause that was a, he did a poor job against Florida. He did a poor job against AM. So we'll just leave it there. I, I still think, I think we all agree. Georgia's the better team right now. Today. Maybe, maybe Braden, we need to figure out what that says about Lane Kiffin's offense. I, we, we're going to discuss that. We've got to move on. We don't, we have limited time. So let's move on here um, because Lexington, come on in, sit down, stay a while. Let's have mm-hmm. a conversation. Steven, you went to Lexington and uh, watched the game. First of all, Kentucky's, again, like you guys have been saying all, all season, Kentucky's very good. Um, they're going to have a, an eye-opening experience, I believe, in Athens this weekend. Yeah, they're going to meet Jesus. Yeah. But why are they acting like Illinois? I want to know. Like in, in real life. Um, first off, okay, first off, life. I want to say this. I am not trying to do the Big Ten joke here. I have covered I college football all across this country. And had and been met with warm hospitality in the Midwest, this fine United States, um, these fine United States. I was at Kentucky for about three and a half hours. I was near Kroger Field, sort of in the tailgating area for about three and a half hours before kickoff. This is the strangest thing. And I told Braden this off air. I've never been able to recall it. And I had LSU people around me and they actually pointed it out. You'll know why in a second. Someone just sort of stood there about 30 minutes before half or before kickoff and said, I haven't smelled any food. <laughs> now, before you say anything or before you make a snide joke, this game was a hard sellout, not a not a on paper sellout. This was a hard standing room only sellout. The atmosphere inside of the stadium. I keep wanting to call it Commonwealth. Uh, the, the atmosphere inside of Kroger Field was fantastic. They've done a little bit of work on the stadium. In my opinion, they could probably do a little bit more, uh, at least compared to the other things that they have on campus for other sports. Um, they have done a great job. They are celebrating this and and going through a wonderful experience. And I think it's it's beautiful to be anywhere in college football where they're having that moment that they haven't had in 20 years, 10 years, 30 years, or in, ca- in their case, they haven't been 6-0 since like, I don't know, before the Depression or something. So but... that's all good. But a couple two, two, two couple things real fast, Air as we say, way down south. Y'all, cook some food, number one. And number two, the Brayden, are we PG 13 on here? No, no, we're R. Oh, okay. been R. The shit talking. I never swear on You're this. You're worried show. about saying shit. I swear on my show. I said the effort swear, on like ne- the second you've episode. Swore, well, hang on. You've sworn every single episode on this show. Oh, I have? Yeah, that's why. But that's, that's as bad as it ever gets state. for you. Is okay. shit. Like no. mine is way worse than that. Okay. So the, 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 the level of like, <laughs> there's like a what an unsolicited level of motherfucking that was going on amongst. Kentucky fans to LSU fans like other than the bluegrass miracle guys what are we doing here what's, what's going on like we don't need that you guys are about to be six and oh LSU fans were way more interested in taking a tour of Keeneland or dipping a bottle at Maker's Mark than they were about that I'm serious a lot of them were like hey fuck <laughs> them you know what the flight wasn't refundable so I'm up here 
Uh, let's all talk about who we're going to hire next. Bourbon. Like that was the energy amongst LSU fans. And then you would like walk by a tent full of like Kentucky fans and it would just be like LSU fans got tiger baited in reverse, which is super weird. And I know if you're listening to that this, is you, weird. if you don't like LSU fans, you have, I, I have a history. I went to Ole Miss. I get it. Like, believe me, I've seen the worst. I've seen tiger pimp nation, but the traveling LSU fans are usually like a little bit older, a little bit calmer. Right. They're not out there in like the zebra print Zubaz, like, you know, screaming obscenities at people. And like, honestly, when you go to Baton Rouge and you're not Alabama or Ole Miss or now AM, I guess, people are usually like, hey, fuck you. We're going to beat you. But come over here and eat this food that I've been cooking yes. for like yes. seven hours yes. on a, a very stove. friendly environment. And the food is probably better than 90% of the restaurants that you have in whatever town that you come from. Like, yes. this is the culture that I married into. And I've, I've really uh, like lived in the animal you're years. eating, but. You'll exactly. It out. Yeah, you know what? It's covered. It's the, it, that's it what the matter. sauce is for. It doesn't matter. It's delicious. Is it chewy? Black. No. Okay. If it is, we'll cook it longer. Blacken it. That's all that matters. So, to walk around Kentucky for three and a half hours. By the way, I have neutral colors on. So if I go to like, if I'm I'm just walking around, people just. I'm not saying I have to be invited in or anything like that. It was just the least inviting that I've ever seen. I've been to a lot of tailgates in a lot of places, y'all. I've been to tailgates at the University of Wyoming when it's snowing and people are like, hey, man, like literally we have freaking oil drum trash can fires. And I was like, go over here and get a beer and stand next to our fire and like random people in Wyoming in the cold. And Kentucky fans were just very it, they need a pamphlet. We need to hit them with some pamphlets, Braden. They just say this is how you act. You are not in a basketball setting. Now, so, Aaron, I would ask so, you this. So you would you, say that they have not been there before. I hate to do this because it undercuts what's going on. And what's really funny is like that team right now is executing and is coached like a really good, consistent college football program. The fan base, let me be clear. I'm not talking about Stoopsy. I'm not talking about anything that's going on with the University of Kentucky. Aaron, is this a basketball culture thing where I guess when people come to Rupp, it's a little bit more shit talky? I, I don't know. In my mind, I think so because you, A, you don't really have the opportunities in basketball to be as friendly as you do in football because you're not tailgating normally. Right. You it's don't cold. really have it's cold. Like you don't really have an opportunity to share and be nice. So the only thing that they know and they're and when they're good at basketball, they're not nice to the people sitting next to them that aren't wearing blue and white. They either don't talk to you at all or they shit talk you the whole time. Yeah. I think that they don't know. Yeah. I think it's you haven't been there before in an environment that actually allows you to be inviting. Ole Miss has been good and bad, is always friendly. LSU, same way. You have this huge tailgating culture. And I think that I think that's what it is. Yes. Also a little a little birdie told me this. There's apparently a strain of like, I don't know what you want to let's just call it conservatism inside of the university's athletic program about alcohol sales. You literally invented brown liquor in the in, in on our continent. One more time. History, it's true. The limestone and the water and the weather. You literally invented the entire continent's most favorite liquor, like in the same plot of land as your football stadium. Maybe like they don't even have a maker's mark or, you know, pick your point. I'm not, I'm not going to do all the pretentious bourbon stuff right now. Like, Buffalo All of those major Trace. distilleries. Buffalo Trace, if you'd like to sponsor the show, Buffalo Trace. There we go. Great. All right, get in I'm there, do, do the work. I love the Colonel. They've all been pushed out. I don't I don't get it. It's it, You can't even buy a beer. It, it just made no sense to me that there's, a, there's such a disconnect between the culture and what people are doing pregame. Y'all, I, I, this is not a joke. I covered the Stanford-Oregon game on a Thursday night when they were both top five teams when Stanford stood them up and won the game. Derek Mason was a defensive coordinator. I don't know how many years ago this was. Pre-game, do you know what people from Napa were doing who are longtime Stanford fans? They had, like, tailgates out and had all their wine out, and they're like, hey, come try this wine from this, this like, none of that vibe. Mm. What That's do y'all do? You have to be taught how to be hospitable. If you are nice to 2,000 visiting fans, Maybe they're too it close doesn't to change a, the game. I figured it out. They're too close to Ohio. That's what it is. <laughs> I can't even. I have no response to that. Ohio's the best parties I've ever been to. Uh, they're a little crazy, though. But it's they're interesting because if Vanderbilt ever got really good at football, I know that those fans would know what to do because they'd be so happy that yeah. they were good at football that they would know exactly what to do. And maybe that's just because they had to be good sports about sometimes both it, sports it, at the same time. But it's it's interesting that Kentucky doesn't even know 
what to do, what to do with it at all. Here's what it comes. And this is interesting because we're talking, we're going long here, but I know, but this is, this this is is a fascinating topic. The basketball angle to me, and this is how I describe Kentucky fans to people that don't know about big blue nation and how it, and how it works. Cult. I I have never, it is a cult. (laughs) It is very, it's, it's basically the remnant fellowship um, on a, on a basketball court. (laughs) I, I, here's the thing. It, It is like, I am full of respect and astonished every time three and a half minutes into a basketball game, 19,000 fans stand up for a shot clock violation and, and right. like, give it a, give it a resound. Like they understand it. They understand yeah. why it happened. They understand where it happened. They understand that there's still 37 minutes left to go in the game, but they will give a, the loudest standing ovation you've ever heard for like a nothing burger play. Yeah. And I've always, is- I've, I've always appreciated them, Braden, because we're all Nashville residents, right? And what Kentucky fans do for our local economy, like two, three yes, times yes. a year, Golly. it's it's beautiful. We love but, them. But what that? But the only way you can have that level of appreciation for a sport and for the nuance of a sport, yeah. is to be so good and so dominant, and to just have such a high level of pretentious. Like it's just you just. Well, and a long you time have to, of it. Yeah, exactly. You have because to because your kids. I mean, it started happening fifty plus years ago. So these. 50 year olds and now have their kids at the game t- together, 20 year old and 50 year old standing together. And they all know every nuance because they were both alive for all of the greatness. And I don't know. I think to both of your points, it just doesn't translate to a tailgate setting. Last thing I'm going to say is I went to go get lunch at a sports bar right by the stadium. I don't remember the name of it. Just packed out blue, went with some LSU fans, got a table middle of the day. There's like kids and elderly people around and stuff. And it had a level of like legit anger and acrimony. Like you're in the upper deck of like the, the 1970s Yankees game. The only time I felt that before it was like some, it was like a trigger to memory of when I went to the 91 in LCS in Pittsburgh with my dad and like wasted Pittsburgh fans were like, I'm going to pour my beer on you. I'm going to hit yeah, you in yeah, the face. Yeah, yeah. It, Y'all got to calm down, dude. You beat a bad <laughs> LSU team. Maybe LSU's next week we'll like, fix that. LSU's just like we just want to drink. They're, they're yeah, so- no, they, that that really was it. Too. I mean, really, when they came to when they came to Nashville last time, the all the bars surrounding the Vanderbilt area ran out of liquor by eleven thirty a.m. And I'm not kidding, liquor gone. So LSU, I can't imagine the situation you're describing, Godfrey. They're just like, what did we? Yeah, do? they won that game at Vanderbilt. It, like it this, is, this team just wanted to get drunk. Again, it, it is the they know so much and they're so comfortable in their skin and they're so pretentious and so knowledgeable and so have such a high respect for basketball that they can't just flip the switch and and go no. back down to being where they're used to being with football. They they they're acting like their their basketball team is winning the national title, but it's not the same setting, and so they just don't know how to act there. But so it's, in but conclusion, again. In conclusion, they great, need to go to Cotillion. Great win. <laughs> yeah. Great win. My dad and said I, that was the biggest waste of money of all time. Sorry, Braden. It, it probably was. And I was just in Lexington. I, mean, I love Lexington. It's a totally charming downtown area. Place. I went to the yeah. American and had a had some food. We went down. We did the whole railbird thing at Keeneland. It was great. I had a blast up there. Uh, stayed on a horse farm, literally. And the only place in America you can ARB, Airbnb your horse farm. It's tremendous. Um, but again, the football team is really good. They're just not going to beat Georgia. Yeah, and, and if we want to do a transition real fast, Braden, it reminds <laughs> there me. There you of this. go. This and this was the conversation after the game amongst people who are not Lexington, either media or LSU or whatever. This is here's your transition. What is about to happen in Athens is exactly what happens when when a good John Calipari coached uh, uh, UK team goes on the road and loses to like a Mississippi State or a South Carolina, and those fans freak out and they're like yelling at them in the parking lot. It's like, guys, you're actually just a little bit better than you should be. Reality will catch up with you (laughs) this week. Reality is going to, and and I'm not saying this in a mean way, like Kentucky shouldn't be excited. They have a very good football team and we'll probably be playing in like what a Florida bowl come January. Like this is a citrus or outback or one of the, one of those bowl teams. They should be excited about that, that they don't have to do. And I'm not being mean to the music city bowl, but they get to go and do the warm weather bowl. That's awesome. Okay. You are about to, based on what I saw on the field, have a really enjoyable six to eight minutes in the first quarter. And then Georgia is just going to, it's just, it's wood chipper. Now it's just wood chipper because the way they're running that offense, I have not seen linebacker spacing this bad in the sec ever. Certainly not from a top end team. LSU is really that bad fundamentally in terms of scheme. Georgia is not. And Kentucky is going to come in and try and run that same stuff. I don't even have words to analyze the game. Like I, I just don't, there's not a matchup that you're, I mean, 
I, I don't know. I, I, Braden if, Will Levis broke seven tackles and bounced around to get into the end zone, yeah. and then he did it again to pick up a first down. Yeah. George is gonna kill him if he does that. <laughs> right. The, the only hope the, the only hope they have is to 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 do what Arkansas did to Texas A and M which is to grind the game to a screeching halt, play brilliant okay. defense, get a couple of turnovers, and run the ball 52 times. And, and hope that that's enough to score 17 points. And a block field goal Florida-type yes. moment yes. where you just have a, just yes. a stupid amount of momentum change. Fringe element is, in fact, Aaron Dugan. In reality... Brought to you by technically te- still, to you, still technically could to you potentially by, also be in addition to brought to you by possibly maybe Jaspers. It's what George W. Bush is thinking about right now. <laughs> <laughs> Cards against humanity as an advertising strategy. Interesting. And that's on honesty. Go to Jaspers for all the real reasons, not just because W has been thinking about it. Or not because your relationship or marriage ended there last week. According, yes, but, according, according to, according to but the because game. their food is delicious and because the nachos flow like water and <laughs> because they have <laughs> popsicles that make you drunk if you like to drink. And if you don't, I don't know if they have tea. They might. They have coffee, I think water. I think they do. Yeah, they have all those things. A nice artesian well water. I do love that. <laughs> The nachos flow like water, and they've got popsicles that'll get you drunk. Go to Jasper's. See, that was me just... It's very good. That was all me. Yep. No, I know it was. I'm aware. Um, Go to Jasper's if you're in town, if you're an SEC fan listening from outside of the market, and you're coming into Nashville, which, of course, we know all of you are doing because everyone comes to Nashville. Go to Jasper's. It's on West End. The parking is free. The food is fantastic. The chef is amazing. The menu is great. The vibes are good. The sight lines and the ambiance, everything's real refreshing and light and airy and the food's wonderful and the bar's great. I, 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 I can't say enough positive things about Jasper's and Aaron Dugan. If you recommend Jasper's to somebody as a Nashvillian, you're sort of putting your reputation on the line. Oh, I take, re- I take restaurant suggestions very seriously. That's real to me. If you can't give a good food recommendation to a friend, what kind of friend are you? When you have a limited amount of meals you have in a new city. So if someone leads you astray, yeah, that's screwed. on them. And I don't want to, I don't want to be that. Per- I don't want that uh, on that's my a conscience. Lot of pre- it's a lot of pressure. Yeah. Lot also, of pressure. if you're coming you in from out of town and you're going to Jasper's, I'm not done with the ad, oh, Braden. Sorry. Sorry. I'm going to tell Jasper's you're rushing. You're rushing us out of the ad. Apologize. Carry if on. you're coming to town from another city and you're an SEC fan, tweet at us, Braden, because he actually checks his Twitter and tell us you're coming. And maybe Braden will come and meet you, and then you can tell him everything that you don't like about the show. I'll come too, but okay, please I was don't gonna say, critique I, I, me. <laughs> I do appreciate you volunteering me. No, I'll go. I'll audience. go. Okay. I'll hang out. All right. Jaspers, where the nachos flow like water. Now the <laughs> ad's over. And popsicles that get you drunk. <laughs> go to Jaspers. Any other comments on Georgia and Kentucky? <laughs> I was just looking at the the line to see if I to see if my my betting luck was going to continue, but I Big don't time know. Gambling. Yeah, I'm. Yeah, do you I mean, do that I'm now? a new woman. Do you want to do that now? Uh, by the way, go to Kentucky fans. When you get back from Athens, just go to Dudley's, get some scallops. You'll be good. Um, all right, Aaron, do you want to talk gambling real fast before we talk Florida at LSU or Ole Miss at Tennessee? Yeah, I'm the newfound expert. Yeah. No, I just randomly yeah. decided to bet on college football for the first time. Well, actually. Honestly, probably ever because I wasn't allowed to do that when I worked at Vanderbilt. Can't bet on anything. So I I bet on March Madness before, but this is my first time betting on college football. So I was like, I'll oh, screw it. I'll just pick. I'm good at the I'm good at over under. Um, the rest of it is kind of a crapshoot, but I hit like a five way SEC parlay and won like six hundred bucks on twenty-five. Wow. Steve, Steve, uh-huh. Steve she, she let me read the text message here. Zarest. <laughs> <laughs> So uh, that's, that's serious. Yeah, it was pretty good. It's now good I got to find it. Um, ba- basically, it was like, hey, I made 700. I'm a gambler now. I made $750. And I was like, I don't believe you. It's <laughs> about right. It was yeah. Show me, show me the, the receipts. And sh- she sent it to me. And she 
it was five hundred ninety-six dollars. So you did exaggerate. Then, but no, but listen, it was. I said it was seven hundred. Then I said it was more like six fifty because I did win all those five individual bets too. Ah, So I won mm ten on each of those, and then I won the six hundred dollar on the five-way parlay. So it was like six fifty. Here's the here's the lesson, Aaron. What is the lesson, Braden? Don't do another parlay the rest of your life. You've hit the one you're going to hit this. Yeah, this that's lifetime. that's not going to happen again. I'm just telling you, I'm, this is the this okay, is the well, statistical was, advice for you. Great I really job. Didn't... Congratulations. <laughs> take that money and take it out of the bank account. I mean, I mean, like out of the the, the, the betting app that you've got. You're not in. my mom. Take it all. You are. The, the parlays are designed by the house to take your money. I know. Yeah, unless you're good it. at them. And then you. I'm Nobody's good at them. No, no. Here's the trick. No one's good. at No, them. it's just. No, but, okay. Here, here's what I will say, which maybe for some people, the it was. It was a uh, Kentucky. I took Kentucky like minus three. I yeah, guess that sounds right. Which it, that was I ended think, up looking good. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that didn't seem like that crazy to me. And then the over and I probably got luck, lucky on the. I took over sixty seven on Ole Miss Arkansas, but I knew it was going to be a high scoring game. Told I told my <laughs> dad is, after. Listen, do you hear the? Gambling? I knew. I knew. I knew. My dad goes, "You don't you? know anything. That's how betting gets this is you." And I was like, "But I'm they, good at it." This is how they <laughs> good talk. at it. The- I'm good at it is the last thing that you ever hear them say. But I know it's going it. to go over, Stephen. But I yeah. know that they were going to win by three. This is the anon the betting anonymous conversation. I love it. People always ask. I'm not me, a big gambler, but like uh, you're right. I probably shouldn't parlay anything for a while. I've had no, my had no, my no. Luck. People but, ask me this all the time. They're like, "Oh, you're a sports writer. Like, what what do you think about this line?" And I'm like, "But if I had information that would make me money, don't you think I would do that?" Yes. Yes. I know. I had no, a bunch of people message me after I posted that because I was trying to prove it to Braden. Like, what should I take? I was like, I wouldn't do this to yourself, but ever again. <laughs> Who should I bet on? No. Nope. Uh, nope. So, Miss Nostradamus over there, um, Florida at LSU wins by how many? Ooh. Since you know. I mean, I do. Twenty-eight. Whoa. Wow. Uh, I'm going to go lower than that just yeah. because I saw what Kentucky did and I know what Florida will do in terms of outside running. Um, but they're also going to want to play a possession game and grind it out. There's no reason for Florida to get out of an LSU game without showing anything. That's pretty crazy, but that's the truth. The week before Georgia. What, um, yep. What's the over under on the number of days left on coach O's? 28. End of season. They're both hot, yeah. The, my, one of my guesses was high, and one of them was was low. I'm leaning towards end of season or the subject matter from last week's show gets revealed. I don't think a single game outcome would do it at this point because it is twenty. It is a hard twenty one million. It's so. just going to be the way you get beat. It's going to be the beat down, battered people at the end of it of how you got beat the whole rest of the way through the season. Yes, I, I agree. It's not going to be one loss. It's just going to be the constant just agony of the rest of the if they are down 35 to 7 in all of the third quarters i don't know how long that lasts they're only a 10 point yeah florida's only a 10 point favorite does it not go down with each month though steven the buyout (laughs) can it It doesn't hey the date that it goes down at some point and that you want to get really depressed it's like 16.8 at the end of next year okay yeah that's bad but lsu's got the money they'll find it there's no problem there well, they, they're trying not to find it. I'll put it that way. Okay. Okay. Uh, Ole Miss at Tennessee. Lane Kiffin returns. What Kiffin, do you mean, Godfrey? Lane Kiffin know. returns to Newland Stadium. At least let me set it up here. Lane Kiffin returns to Newland Stadium. It's only a four-point spread, which means Vegas is very, very fishy here on Tennessee. Um, obviously, the offenses are fascinating. What does, what does Vegas know here, Stephen? Because the line screams Ole Miss, which means you should take the balls. Vegas? Must have seen the first half of the Tennessee-South Carolina game, but not the part where South Carolina came out and played defense. I guess. I know this. this. Will this be as good an atmosphere as Oklahoma and Tennessee from 2017? No, because Tennessee's not in the same stand in terms of like what to play for. I think Tennessee's still learning to love again, Um, but it will be after they win this game because I think Tennessee's going to upset Ole Miss. Do tell. Explain. I just think that Look at it now objectively. Look at the body of work that they've provided you on defense. Okay. There were gradual gains against this uh, Louisville team that I don't know if anyone's been paying attention is woefully inconsistent week to week. Okay. They were able to do whatever, whenever they wanted to on offense and were able to dictate terms in a very sleepy Monday night game in week one. 
that was probably their best defensive performance. Tulane, they looked decent. Tulane was still able to score, I believe, 21 in the first half. They had consistent scoring drives. And that's it, folks, in terms of, in terms of uh, admirable defensive performances. That's kind of what we built that Alabama game on. We do this every time. So going into Alabama, they were, I really thought, there's a, a pretty decent blueprint from Alabama as to how to beat this team. Arkansas used some of it. I don't think that they had the just the athleticism on defense to do it in terms of speed and spacing, but none of that might matter. Tennessee doesn't have any of that either. But it doesn't matter because what Tennessee does have is the ability to push this defense, push this defense, push this defense on Ole Miss's side. So what Alabama decided was our defense will beat your offense, and then we'll just kind of run a basically offensive base for most of that game. What happened against Arkansas has now convinced me that, that Ole Miss is secretly bad they're just winning hands. They're just, they're on that hot streak at the table. They're like Aaron with that app. They're going to lose that 600 bucks. <laughs> Ole Miss is going to lose that 600 bucks. Hater's going to hate. I, I, I said at the beginning, Ole Miss will win every game they're favored in and they'll lose every game they're an underdog in, which is, which is what I said. At the yeah, beginning. but this so is far, right they, at the, every one of them. What about the, this is the Mendoza game line, and you know, they always yeah. have a flip flop. Yeah. Aaron's right. That's the other thing too. Historically, this is not a consistent team. It's not deep enough, nor well coached enough to be able to ride the wave. Really, really good programs can't ride the wave sometime. Alabama couldn't ride the wave last week. This screams pushing the ball just a little bit and one or two turnovers, and this is going to be a classic. Let's go 2014 to 17 Big 12 conference game. You know all those forgettable games that you would see with interchangeable opponents like Oklahoma State, Texas Tech, Baylor, TC, all the, and you and one team would win by 56 and one team would lose and they'd score 49? That's what you're going to see. I think it gets into a pressure situation late, and Matt Corral may make one or two bad decisions, and that's it. I, I don't disagree with Tennessee's ability to win the game. I think you are like vastly underestimating the talent difference. In which matchup? Uh, uh, well, t- Tennessee's defense has played way over its head in every game. And Jeremy, mm-hmm. Pruitt, Jeremy Pruitt beat Missouri and South Carolina, okay? So let, let's... Okay. Let's not go too crazy with beating Missouri and South Carolina, which is exactly what this fan base in this entire league did last year. You didn't just beat Missouri. You like whooped that I, ass. I, I Listen, I get it. I get it. I, it's, it <laughs> South Carolina is god awful, and Vanderbilt has a chance at a win this week. I understand just, all these things. There's just a gap there. I, I don't know. Like, uh, yeah, I, I I get that. But when is the last time Ole Miss has controlled game momentum in the second half? Okay, I'm asking. I, 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 I mean, not a bad point. But no, I mean, I I don't disagree with the the issues on. I, like, I was the same one with, that you were on defense, saying, "Listen, this Herb Street, you know." Herb Street just like fawned over the Ole Miss defense on that Monday night. And I'm like, why? Like, that's not that they haven't, that's not a reason to think that. Yeah. They, it's, it's honestly, know. it's honestly just because people had a little bit too much respect for Louisville on paper. And that's a week one mistake for sure. And, and now it, you can't make that mistake again. I, I just, I've been waiting for the Tennessee, the, the bottom to fall out of the Tennessee defense because they're playing way right. over their talent level. Yes. And, and Hendon Hooker is a very nice player who's rounding into form. But offensively, if you're going to go toe to toe, there's not a piece that's better than Ole Miss's weaponry. So I, I'm, I just, I, I will leave you with this thought. So. I will leave you with this thought. I cannot remember a period in time in which in the modern era of the, of SEC football that Ole Miss has ever not had a game where the performance betrayed the talent on the field. Okay. That's a lot of teams, but okay. Ever. It's a lot of teams not named Alabama or Ohio state. So. That's Dig fair. through those record books. Trust me. That's fair. That's fair. Um, anything else you guys want to add here? Uh, Auburn and Arkansas, which is like a sneaky good football game. <laughs> but but like, yeah, it'll be even. I think it's um, gonna be a good football game for yeah, sure. It'll, it'll be even. I definitely like the hogs. Hogs, really? Yeah, I like the hogs. Aaron? I came away very impressed with them. Me too. I well, what why am I asking you about Sam Pittman? What am I doing? I know, you know how I feel. I sent you a video um <laughs> while we were on here of the reaction right before they actually lost the game when they tied it up for the two point. Com- no, when you were, they you were, you were definitely clout chasing on the internet this weekend for sure. I think I just actually tweeted, <laughs> right? You tweeted at, that's true. <laughs> God, I think I just I, tweeted for I once. Do? I just actually tweeted for once, and of course, it was at Sam Pittman. 
Yeah, that dog was lit. You saw that tweet. That dog was named after the stadium. I mean, Arkansas fans are underratedly crazy. Uh, Is underratedly a word? No, I don't think so. No. I trust Godfrey. But they are an underrated fan base. Under their their crazy factor is underrated for sure. I I thought that their the way that they just continued to play. I mean, it was it was touchdown for touchdown. They're right there the whole time. Um, a lot of fight. And I'm not I'm not gonna pull against Sam Pittman yet. Okay. Okay. So I'm going Arkansas. They did spend about what eight days trying to keep Bobby Petrino on staff, you know, after the after the accident. So <laughs> um, all right, there we go. Uh, there, there you have it. Lots of reaction from Bama, of course, looking ahead to Georgia and Kentucky, LSU, Florida, Cocho, all that great stuff. Stephen, always a pleasure. Aaron Dugan, um, sticking around for a little while longer. When we come back, you will hear from Louis Bellina, program director and uh, host on 1150 AM, The Zone in College Station. Louis, good to see you, man. Thank you so much for joining the show. We really appreciate it. Um, just try to give us a sense of what College Station as a city was like late on Saturday evening. Just give us a sense of what it was like to be in that town after beating Alabama. Joy, elation, celebration. I do a post-game call-in show. It's two hours after a and home game, right? hour and 45 minutes where people just calling in i'm happy my kid was with me it's the greatest day in the history of being an aggie tears in my eyes i left the stadium i think monday morning people finally went to sleep like i, I looked around town there's no cars on the road i mean it's that kind of pure happiness you know to me this is why you live to be a college football fan it's not game Y versus non-conference Z. And, you know, it's not those games in game in game out. That's the grind of being a college football fan moment like this. You're going to remember 10 years from now, you might not remember the record this year. Ain't it might win the rest of the games, 10 and two, go back to new year, six, finish the year ranked in the top five. Again, they won't remember that. You'll remember Saturday night. You'll remember beating the number one team in the country. And as a college football fan, you should celebrate these moments like they've never happened before. You know why? They rarely do, almost never, and, and they're rare. They're so far in between. How many teams say, yeah, we beat the number one team last year? It doesn't happen that often. So here in Aggieland, people are going nuts. This was obviously an upset, but not all upsets are created equal. This came out of nowhere. This was an upset of epic magnitude. A&M had lost two straight and looked bad doing it. Alabama's Alabama. They had they won, what, 100 straight games against unranked opponents? Hey, A&M definitely was not ranked going into this game. There was no reason to have any expectation around town all week long. Everyone was talking about A&M's last six games, not Alabama on Saturday. So it wasn't just, oh, an upset. This was a magnitude. The Richter scale couldn't even measure this one. What is it that you think... I mean, it was clearly the best probably coaching job Jimbo has done in his tenure there. It's the best that, that Zach Calzada has played at any point. The offense was totally different, it felt like. Yes, they got the, the big return, and, and, and they had to have some things go their way, but like they kept mm. answering every time Alabama would do something. What is it that made this night different for Jimbo, for the quarterback, for the offense? Why were they able to do what they were able to do on Saturday? Of the offensive line. It was the best offensive line game of the year, heads and shoulders above anything else. This will make you laugh. It was the fifth different offensive line they started in six games. They've had a lot of injuries. They've had two offensive linemen from opening game, just not even suit up. They've had one offensive lineman from opening day, missed two different games, get pulled in game. This was the fifth different offensive line. It was the best offensive line play they had. Calzada had time. And in the first half, the offensive line beat Alabama. You know, the who won the line of scrimmage. Sometimes the simplest answer is the best answer. How did AM beat Alabama? In the end, I would say that AM's offensive line finished at a push with Alabama's D line because in the second half, Alabama's defense took over. I think that finishes a push. AM's defensive line dominated, owned completely 100%, not even close battle. I mean, they should have raised the white flag for Alabama's O line. A&M's defensive line dominated. Old school football 101 
line of scrimmage. And in the end, AM got the winning grade in that one. But why did Calzada unlock himself? And how did Jimbo call a great game? Oh, line play. And all year long, they even when they were beating up Kent State in New Mexico, you looked at the old line and it was very suspicious. You were kind of like, man, that's not good. This was their best game easily. Oh, and it was against Alabama. <laughs> you, you mentioned the call-in show and certainly in, in a situation like that and even like for a couple of days it's just going to be pure jubilation celebration like you said first time an unranked team has beaten a number one team anywhere in america since 2008 you mentioned the 100 game winning streak for bama so it's just a an extremely rare phenomenon so you're gonna when that wears off what what will the aggie conversation be over the course of the next few weeks let's let's say they win a few games is it going to start to shift back to 50-50 what happened against Arkansas and Mississippi State or does it or is that just so out of sight out of mind that all that matters now is let's finish the season and and and, and remember that night that we beat Bama The conversation for A&M fans moving forward is going to be if they can win out and get to 10 wins again and then maybe a bowl 11 and finish ranked in the top 5 cuz A&M finishes 10 and 2 and beating the number 1 team in the country the final, oh, and the bowl will be 11, right? They're actually going to be ranked probably in the top six or five again. An 11-win team that beat Alabama will finish ranked in the top six again. Last year, they finished fourth. That's where the conversation is going to go. Now, if you come down the stretch and you get tripped up by Ole Miss, and then maybe Auburn, it's not going to be LSU. How bad is LSU this year? <laughs> Who's going to be the interim coach for that game for LSU? <laughs> I mean, is it going to be the special teams coach? So, Really, when you look at AM's last six games, Ole Miss is the number one opponent left. They can score with anyone. AM's secondary is average and suspect in coverage. So that's a heck of a matchup for Matt Corral. Pro, you know, advantage. I'm looking so far down the road. Advantage Ole Miss on that one. So I think that's the conversation moving on. Now, if you lose to Ole Miss and maybe Auburn, then you're going to start getting into what's wrong again. And then you're going to remember Arkansas, Mississippi State. Moving forward is how do you go six and no? Because even if you go five and one, it's a nine win year. It's still under the expectation. And you will have those questions again. Why was the O-line so bad? Well, the answer is injuries, but fans don't talk about injuries. Why did Calzada start so bad that he couldn't beat Mississippi State and he couldn't beat Arkansas? Oh, but he could beat Alabama. Doesn't make sense, does it? Then the conversation will go backwards, but not until the next loss let's say but all the conversation look AM's got missouri saturday they're going to run for 500 yards they don't have to throw one pass and they beat them by 21 okay and then they got south carolina so AM's got a lot of w's lined up it's it's an amazing it's it, it feels like the most texas a&m thing to do of all time <laughs> which is to 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 sort of you know again you lose to an old southwest conference rival in sort of ugly ways. And, and well, then look just, bad doing it. Like you said, look right. real bad. I mean, offense was going into the game. I picked a and score seven points, seven against Alabama. I had no clue how the offense would get two touchdowns. The offensive line play was awful. Calzada looked lost. He looked hopeless. I mean, he had no touch. He had no pocket presence. The mistakes he was making, high school quarterbacks don't make anymore. I mean, things were bleak offensively heading into Alabama. I, I think it's <laughs> it's just to your point, it's just what makes college football special is these moments where, especially at home, something happens and all of a sudden we, we have a memory for the rest of our lives. Now, let me ask you this relative to, you know, the Manziel win over Alabama or some of the wins that you've seen from this team, maybe over the years, g give us some perspective on where this night and this win ranks sort of historically over a 30 year window for Texas A&M football. Well, it's one of the top three because the Manziel win over Alabama led to the Heisman, and we thought A&M as a program was shifting forward. The 74-72 game with LSU in 500 overtimes is going to be one of the greatest games ever. I'll be dead before there's one that will probably pass that one. It, You had to have been there, and you had to have watched that game in its entirety. A&M was dead in the water until there's like one minute left, and then they score the game in the two-point conversion, seven OTs. That was an unbelievable game. So it's a top three. The difference, I think, at the time when Manziel beat Alabama, I kind of knew that was a temporary moment. Someone wasn't the coach for the future. I don't think that was very disputable. He was a good coach. 
but he wasn't great. And if you're going to win championships, the SEC West, go to the college football playoff national championships, it's great or bust. If you're not great, it's never going to work. So that was a good moment in time. This win Saturday is a statement about Jimbo and the AM program. So I told you how bad everything was for AM going in, right? But the thing that was really confusing about it all and the truth of it all is the talent that Jimbo's acquired. And he keeps acquiring. He's had three straight uh, top seven recruiting classes. That AM team out there that was so 17 point underdog has three offensive players. They're going to go in the first two rounds of the NFL draft next spring. They've got a defender who's probably going to, DeMarvin Leal, who's probably going to go in the top 10. It's chock full of talent. So even when AM football so far down, not performing up to expectation, that's the talent level, though, that you can still beat the number one team. So I do feel like the difference among these other two games I was talking about and this one, what it means, it is a statement of the level the program's at. Can the level play that? Can you play at that level every week? That's a great question, right? How many teams do? Well, Alabama, well, gee, not Saturday, but that's that's where you're at with AM. That's the talent level you're at. You haven't been there ever, I think, in the program's history talent-level-wise, even during the decade of excellence. Louie, always a pleasure, man. Uh, I've known you for a, quite a long time, one of the smartest dudes and most entertaining dudes in radio. Uh, I appreciate you coming on with us, and I'm, I hope you got a chance to celebrate on Saturday night <laughs> and Sunday and hopefully into Monday and Tuesday and maybe for the rest of the of, of uh, Texas A&M fans' lives. Uh, that'll, be a, that'll be an epic moment that on, on Jimbo's birthday, of course, too. So what are you going to do? Uh, just, well, you uh, pair this win with the Longhorns choking against Oklahoma. <laughs> and here in Aggieland, you have maybe the greatest week ever. And I mean, ever, because no matter what any Aggie tells you, yeah, you still notice that a uh, Texas score. And they blow, what, a 21-point lead, an 18-point second-half lead. And, and the way they do it, too, they get physically dominated and let OU run on them. OU's backup quarterback. But whatever, and I'm beating them one team in the country. Who cares? I think it's hilarious. You just go into, you just can't help yourself from going into more analysis about the largest comeback in the history of the Oklahoma Texas rivalry, which was, of course, the other game in, in the state of Texas. You guys are never too far away from that uh, that Longhorn box score. That's for sure. It's just down the road, man. I know. I know. <laughs> you know, it's not that far away. Hey, real quick, Braden, how awesome was Saturday when you take? Though you Texas game yeah. with Ole Miss, Arkansas. Oh, and then like the nightcap, your dessert, the sugar on top, the cherry was it was the number one team in the country getting yeah. upset when AM beat Alabama. Is college football not good? Is college football not great? No, it's it's total chaos. It's 2007 all over again. And it was my daughter's fifth birthday on Saturday. So it was a hell of a day for me uh, and all of college football fans and college station. Louis, thank you so much for joining us. We do appreciate it, man. Anytime, man. Pleasure to talk to you. You know that. Later. That was Louis Bellina, of course, a program director and host on 1150 AM, The Zone in College Station. And I, I love his just sort of exuberance and pure love and joy of sports. You can just see it on his face, hear it in his voice. And to, to, to take two hours of phone calls after beating number one in the nation, the first time that's happened since 2008 in college football, an unranked team beat number one in the nation, um, had to be just a, a ton of fun. And you can tell you know, a couple of days later, they're still, they're still rolling around in it for sure. It's, it's going to be a lot of fun. And frankly, we didn't talk about this with Steven, but Texas A&M really could win every other game the rest of the way. Like, really like, could. They really could be a 10 and two team. I don't, I wouldn't pick it, but I think nine and three is totally capable, totally probable. And that would be a hell of a season with the number one feather in your cap as well. Also your mind is a very powerful thing. So now that you know, you've knocked off what in all of those players, at least uh, tenure as a collegiate athlete and a lot of our lifetimes has been the powerhouse. Yeah. There's, I mean, you got a chip on your shoulder and, you know, Ted Lasso believes sign, like we talked about earlier. <laughs> I mean, they can, they probably feel like they're on top of the world and they can do anything. And that might actually allow them to do more than we thought. There you go. Um, how are you feeling about an SEC victory this seat this weekend for the Vanderbilt Commodores? Mm. It might, might be your only chance. It might be. South Carolina is not very good. And neither are we. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I hope it's not a scoreless tie with injuries. No, it won't be. It's, 
God. I don't want that. tie with injuries. I don't want that for us. It's, it's really hard. It's hard to, I feel like my heart is kind of just like laying out on the chopping block and I, I can bring myself to bet on a five-way SEC parlay. I can't even bring myself to say that I think we might win this game because I actually care. Oh, all right. But that's I always, good. That I mean, you're I always still, care about that Vanderbilt. Means you're but that means you're still alive in here, Aaron, unlike me and Steven who are dead inside. <laughs> no, I am, I am still alive. I have to be. You have to believe, but it's mm. tough. It's, I hope that we score at least two touchdowns. That's what I want. <laughs> I don't know if we'll win or lose, but I'd like to have at least 13 to 15 points. 13 to 15 points. 15 would be cool because who knows how you got there. But With as few of injuries as possible. I hope everyone's I don't want, safe. First of all, of I don't ever want anyone to get hurt. That was No, a I joke. know. I, no, I know. It's just hilarious. Like you, it's, it's how quickly your mind defined the worst possible scenario. Is what, <laughs> I, is what I enjoyed. Like your mind immediately defined the worst possible scenario as not only a nothing nothing tie but with like everyone getting hurt <laughs> it's so and, grim and i didn't i don't even do that i just think like oh like three to two would be a terrible score in a bad football game and you're like no but it could get worse there could be a tornado it's so dark <laughs> there could be a natural weather event that actually hurts the stadium and the fans get hurt too it could always get worse Braden. <laughs> please I'm please impressed. don't forget that i'm impressed by your mind Thank just, you. <laughs> just score 13 to 15 points this weekend, Vanderbilt, please. I don't know how we got 15, but maybe we did. You go for two. Yeah, no, I know. There's a couple of different ways. Oh. Okay. All of them would be weird. <laughs> Missing two extra points and kicking a field goal. Missing two extra points. I wanted to, I wanted there to be a, no. No, you Missing missed one, one extra, extra point. And a safety. <laughs> and a safety and a touchdown. <laughs> With an extra point. I got it. Okay. With, yeah. One with, okay. one without plus safety. Yeah. 13 and 14 are too normal. Let's go for 15. But the safety has to be first. So it has to be <laughs> okay. like three to two or like zero to two or something stupid. Oh, man. Vanian, it's a dark South place in here. <laughs> Vanny and South Carolina Saturday. <laughs> um, all right. Special thanks to Stephen Godfrey. Special <laughs> thanks to Louis Bellina. Special thanks to Aaron Dugan. Where can people find you? Um, the Aaron Dugan on Twitter and Aaron underscore Dugan on the gram. My name is Braden Gall. You can follow me on Twitter at Braden Gall. Special thanks to our title sponsor, Jaspers, where none of the things Aaron has said on the last two episodes are actually true about your establishment. You are a wonderful place to go eat food. I love it there. I just watch the game. You got to be creative these days. I'm running out of shit. Jaspers. (laughs) Jaspers, I'm running out of shit. (laughs) Have a great weekend, everybody. Enjoy some college football for Aaron Dugan. And Stephen Godfrey, my name is Braden Golf. Thank you for listening. Share the show and go to Jasper's. This has been the Friend Gentleman Podcast here on the 440 Sports Network. After text Louis Bellina and tell him he should make a wine. That's like the perfect name for a wine. <laughs> <laughs>